Let the word go The first. challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s is a pioneering program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. That looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of shared values. Sixty years later, we examine our divisions, our connections, our shared pains and successes in a new program called Challenge 2.0. Violence or the threat of violence dominates the news, whether it's wars in the Middle East or the Ukraine, or violence on American streets or in American classrooms. It seems to be a never-ending cycle, with peace and justice remaining as elusive as ever. In this episode of Challenge 2.0, we speak with an advocate of nonviolence who has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Activist John Deere says it is a proven path to peace and justice, and indeed may be the only path. So we're very thankful we have Father John Deere with us today, and as I understand it, you've had a combination of a lot of driving lately and also a fair amount of coffee, so we may need <laughs> to slow this down just a little bit. But uh, seriously, thank you so much both for your work and taking time to talk to us. Uh, the first book that I read on this particular topic that you did is The Nonviolent Life, mm -hmm. and then the one that you, I think, have described as your life's work is The Gospel of Peace. Mm -hmm. And uh, I might start with an even more basic question than how you got into this, and that is we are just conditioned to hear violence every day in terms of wars, in terms of on the streets and schools, a variety of places. But is it limiting to describe violence as only being physical activity? What's your definition of nonviolence, or of violence, I should say? Well, it's such a great question to talk about that. And thank you for having me, Jeff. And thanks for all your good work. And um, I've been thinking about that question of violence and war my entire life. and. This friend of mine is a great Latin American churchman and theologian named Dom Helder Camera. He talked about the different levels of violence or mm -hmm. the spiral of violence. And it can go in either direction, but let's say violence is doing harm. Gandhi would say it's doing harm in th thought, word, and deed. Mm -hmm. Think about that. And so the challenge is no harm in thought, word, or deed. So you have inner violence, mm -hmm. doing violence to yourself. You have interpersonal violence doing violence to your spouse, your parents, your children, your neighbors. You have community violence. We see that in maybe Seattle and churches in any kind of communities. Mm -hmm. National, you know, violence, international violence. You have the full scale uh, insanity violence of war, uh, which is funded, structured mass murder, mm -hmm. which is legal. It's why I call it insane. But you have also systemic global violence, which we can't forget. That's what Gandhi and Dom Helder Kammer called mm -hmm. poverty. Poverty is the worst form of violence, Gandhi said. Mm -hmm. So there's five billion people in subhuman violence of without adequate food, drinking water now, clothing, healthcare, jobs, education, just basic dignity. It's hard for us in the West to comprehend the violence, poverty. Um, but now we're entering into whole new forms of global violence with 13,000 nuclear weapons, enough to blow the planet up 15 or 20 times, mm -hmm. and the use of fossil fuels, which is bringing on catastrophic climate change. So exactly. 
Dr. King said the choice is no longer violence or nonviolence. That's, he said this the night before the government killed them. Mm -hmm. He said the choice is nonviolence or non-existence. And we're living in that. But when I was a kid, and I was grappling with your question, I thought that that doesn't get at it. Because we could talk about violence is rejecting what it means to be a human being. I think mm. to be human is to be nonviolent, which is just the beginning of talking about being a person of love. Mm -hmm. But universal love, universal compassion, universal peace, these are the ideals. Uh, and then I remembered, I was thinking when I was 21, if someone, see, I'm gonna talk for hours and you're not gonna get a word in edgewise. But if someone came to me with a knife and was gonna cut my chest, you'd go, well, that's violence. Mm -hmm. Well, if he's a surgeon, he's gonna do heart surgery, this was my conundrum, and I love to think about these mm -hmm. things. So that's why when I was 21, I defined violence as forgetting who we are. And what we're meant to be. Right, and who we're called to be. And nonviolence is remembering every single day who we are. Who are we? The Marines will say, to be all you can be is to join the forces of death for the United States and kill for your country. Mm -hmm. that's all, and that's a lie. We're all being told who we are. You're, you're a good American. You're a good Russian. No, we're the beloved sons and daughters of the God of peace. And therefore, we go make peace. Along the lines of what you were just talking about, killing for your country, war, etc., I think it's been 60-some years ago that the monk and social activist Thomas Merton said, the root of war is fear. You agree, is that the foundation that leads people to be violent, or is it far beyond that? I don't know. I, I, I would have, for 40 years, agreed with Merton, mm -hmm. and I wrote a book about Merton, called Thomas Merton Peacemaker, and I, I've gone to Gethsemane almost every year, for twice a year for the last mm -hmm. 40 years. I'm really real student of Thomas Merton's because he's so great, but I don't know. Couldn't, some people say Merton was wrong, that greed is the root hmm. of war to making money. There's a lot of money in killing children, mm -hmm. whether in Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, Gaza, anywhere because uh, there's money in selling weapons, weapons of mass destruction, airplanes, keeping the whole industry going. You need enemies and you need wars to continue this horrific economy based on war continuing. So I'm not so sure, it might be greed, but fear doesn't help. <laughs> and fear is stoked to continue this culture of greed. Now, right. no one was saying this when Merton was around. Mm -hmm. They didn't know that Vietnam, the Vietnam War was, in the end, all about oil. Iraq and Afghanistan wars were all about oil. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Palestine and the wars in Africa are about, uh, and Ukraine are about money, too. Um, they get rid of the peace treaties, and somebody's making billions beyond our comprehension. Mm -hmm. But even that is, Merton is wrong. <laughs> How about that? He said later, if you read the fine print, and I've read everything, I dare, I claim to have read everything by and about Dr. King, Gandhi, Thomas Merton, my friends, the Berrigans, Dorothy Day. They're my teachers. Merton went on to say it's idolatry, mm -hmm. which is the biblical answer. And I think that gets at it, that we've made money 
or fear is about your own ego right. and control. So really we've made ourselves into gods and that's what the scriptures say in the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures. We don't really want the peace of God or the God of peace. Mm -hmm. And um, we've rejected a living faith in the God of peace. And so we practice these false, uh, we worship these false gods of war. So when did you arrive at this recognition then? Uh, what, should I say, motivated you to get engaged in the uh, issues of nonviolence, to adapt that, to adopt it, to practice that, to teach others about it? What was it that I'm not sure how, what made happened. that metal shift. I don't know what happened to me, Jeff. I was <laughs> I had so much promise, as my mother said. You could have, she did. You could have been somebody. But look at what you've done. I spent my whole life now talking about peace and violence. I'll be 65 this summer, and um, but just to give you a little background, I my father was the head of the National Press Club. Mm -hmm. Well, think about that. I grew up totally politicized mm -hmm. as a kid in Washington D.C but very spiritually aware. I knew and loved God since I came out this way. Yeah. A fanatic about God and peace, because I grew up meeting everybody from an early age, and I was quite appalled mm -hmm. by the U.S. government in the 60s. And I was enamored with Dr. King. And he, we were out to dinner the night before, and on April 5th, my mother woke me up at 5 a.m. and said, they killed Dr. King hmm. last night. You have to get up. And then my father took me downtown to see the rioting and the curfews and the police, mm -hmm. and that set me on a course. And then I immediately was studying and rooting for Bobby Kennedy, and we killed him too. And I'm weird. I was nine years old, and I went into an existential crisis, mm -hmm. which lasted for 10 years. I went to Duke to get away from the Catholic Church. I was planning to be a rock star. You laugh. So what I, instrument do you play? Or all did you of play? them. All of them. And I studied it, and I used to go to recording studios, and I, had, I was serious. Okay, and you brought no, that up. I've got to ask a question. Who was your favorite rock star back then? The Beatles. Then? Okay. But okay. Uh, all of them, I later met them all mm -hmm. through my work. God has so, been so wildly good to me. So it's still, I have, on bad days, I think, well, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> so... I decided I was in a wild fraternity at Duke University. We, we never slept. Mm -hmm. I studied all the time and partied all the time and used to go to recording studios. And I decided, uh, well, enough of this funk. I'm not going to believe in God anymore. Mm -hmm. If they killed the two greatest people our country has ever produced, there's nothing you can do. And that didn't work. I tried not to believe in God. And then one day I came to my senses and I thought, oh, of course I believe in God. But for me, it was all or nothing. If there really is a God, you're going to, I remember there was a moment I was sitting there and thinking, well, I'm going to meet God and God's just going to be, I love you so much. And what did you do to help humanity and right. creation? And I went, oh my God. I'm going to have to become a Jesuit. And so you did. I did. That was what happened to me. And I went to my parents and said, Mom, Dad, I'm going to become a Jesuit priest. And, and they were supposed to. They, they were like, oh, <laughs> where did we go wrong? And they begged me not to. I thought, well, if I'm going to give my life following this guy, I want to see where he lived. So I announced to my parents, 
Mom, Dad, I'm going to go hitchhiking through Israel to see where Jesus lived and then enter the Jesuits. And my mother again went like this, and she was like, it's worse than we thought. I kid you not. <laughs> and I flew off to Israel for three months with a little backpack to hitchhike. And the week I left, Israel invaded Lebanon. It was the Summer War of 1982. It was all orchestrated out of the Pentagon. You probably don't even remember, Jeff. It was called, the Pen I've researched it since for my autobiography, and it's called Operation Peace for Galilee. Can you imagine? The airplane was practically empty that I flew on. Mm -hmm. And we killed 60,000 people that summer. And I hitchhiked through Israel, completely oblivious to what was going on. My goal was the Sea of Galilee, just like here in Seattle, gorgeous. Back then it was totally abandoned. I mean, now it has McDonald's and stuff. Mm -hmm. but I mean, this was 40, well, over 40 years ago. And uh, I'm camping out there as a dopey kid, as you see, and I haven't changed that much. And there's a chapel on the North Shore, and I went into it. It's a little chapel with eight sides to it, and it said on the walls, like graffiti, on the walls of the church, it said, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, the nonviolent. Mm -hmm. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. I'm looking around the room. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the clean of heart, the pure of heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those persecuted for working for justice and on the altar, love mm -hmm. your enemies. With the chapel of the Beatitudes. And a light went on. And I said out loud, because there was nobody for miles and miles because of the war, which I didn't realize. I, was, I probably shouldn't have been walking around there. I thought, oh my God, I think he's serious. And I walked out on the balcony, and um, now I'm looking out over the whole Sea of Galilee. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I, my plan was to be a nice, pious priest, because what can you do? They killed poor Martin yeah. and Bobby. You can't do anything. I'm just going to be a priest. But then I'm reading the Beatitudes, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I remember, I was like, isn't that the job of somebody else? And I, for the first time, it gives me chills even saying this to you now, 40 mm -hmm. years later, because that's what the poor guy wants us to do, to be peacemakers and love our enemies, the people being targeted by our country. And I remember um, grappling with that and saying, do you really want me to do that? And all of a sudden, these huge black Israeli jets fell from the sky, uh, breaking the sound barrier, setting off sonic booms, and swooped down over the Sea of Galilee. Mm -hmm and dropped a bunch of bombs 15 miles away and killed people in Lebanon, just as, as I was grappling with that. And it changed my life because I said, oh, you are serious about this. Mm -hmm. I will try to be a peacemaker and teach the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount for the rest of my life. And I suppose for a second, I, I was kind of asking for a sign that God was gonna appear, but instead I opened my eyes to the reality of the mm -hmm. world, which is mass murder in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, even at the place where he said, blessed are the peacemakers. The war had been going on for three months. I'd been seeing bombs all day that day, yeah. and I never even, who cares about war? I was all full of myself. No, we're meant to live these teachings. And a week later, I entered the Jesuits, met the Berrigans, and it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> That's what happened to me. And that's why I'm here traveling the world and the country in Seattle today, 
uh, speaking about peace and nonviolence for Jesus. I've got to ask you about a sense of disconnect that exists today. Sure, ask we me keep seeing uh, the church attendance is dropping, yeah. particularly among young people yes, who express concern about things such as violence and economic injustice yes. and that sort of thing. Yet, as I've read about your background and some of that of your colleagues, it's obvious that your faith is very important to you. And even some of those that are not in religious life that you've associated with, that you've worked together with, also faith is very important. Where is this message that so impressed you when you were in the Sea of Galilee, where is that getting lost in religious practice today that it's not resonating with the young people when they go into a place of worship, whatever their faith may be? Well, and on the one hand, I think it was always lost. Okay. And, and maybe you were going to ask me this, but uh, in a nutshell, so I mean, I really am how do I put this without turning everybody off? Well, I'm going to turn it. A Jesus fanatic, because mm -hmm. I think he's the greatest person. And the church has gotten worse and worse. The more I've been involved, I've been everywhere, mm -hmm. around the whole world. Young, you have no idea how bad it is, but Jesus is greater than ever. Mm -hmm. And um, I've talked about this with all the great saints, and they, they agreed with me. But, you know, why would any young person have anything to do with the church after the, not just the sex abuse scandal, mm -hmm. but the church blessing war and guns and bombs and encouraging people to go off and kill mm -hmm. in every country, in every war, has nothing to do with Jesus or God mm -hmm. or what it means to be a human being. This is why uh, I keep talking about Gandhi and Martin Luther King who used this clumsy word nonviolence. No, I understand it. I doubt you or I would have anything to do with the church if we were growing up today because mm -hmm. the world has changed so much and we're our own worst enemies. Christians are the problems. We're disobeying the basic teachings. Blessed are the peacemakers. Love your enemies. Put down the sword. Um, you know, Gandhi said Jesus was the greatest person of nonviolence in history. Mm -hmm. I just love that. And then Gandhi, poor Gandhi goes on to say, and the only people who don't know Jesus as nonviolent are Christians. It's true. You, could, you know, everybody thinks Jesus is for killing. And when I was 21, I went, my hero and teacher was Daniel Berrigan. Mm -hmm. And Daniel and Philip Berrigan were these famous priests against the Vietnam War on the cover of Time magazine, who then started the Plowshares Movement for nuclear disarmament. And Dan was a priest, a Jesuit. I was a Jesuit priest. I am a priest still. I was a Jesuit for over three decades. And I went at 21 after this experience to ask Dan the meaning of life. And I was so scared because he was so notorious and a total saint. But, you know, the culture hated him. And I was like this. And I was saying, uh, Dan, um, Father Dan, uh, shaking. <laughs> you would be too. And I was like, and I'm going to ask him the meaning of life, but how do you ask Daniel Berrigan or Dorothy Day or Martin Luther King the right. meaning of life? I would have been, I since got over my fear. But then I said, uh, uh, Dan, um, what's the point of all this again? <laughs> Which I think now is so funny. And without missing a beat, he said to me, John, all you have to do is make your story fit into Jesus's story, hmm. which I think is very profound. I think that was the meaning of life. I was expecting him to say, you go and end all the wars. Mm -hmm. But as I've gotten older, I realized what he said was much harder. 
follow Jesus to the way of the cross, because the way to end all the wars is the way of the cross. Steadfast, active, creative nonviolence to the whole culture of violence and war. And um, I've tried to take him seriously on that. And I want to know who Jesus is, and I want my story to fit in with his story, mm -hmm. and I want to continue his teachings. And I don't know, people don't talk about the nonviolent Jesus so much anymore. Um, and I've been trying to engage Pope Francis on that. And, you know, when I've, in my life journey, mm -hmm. and I've worked with a million people, when I talk like this to young people, I talk about Jesus and nonviolence, they all come alive because it's so darn exciting. You yeah. get to go to prison and go to war zones. What's not to like? We're going to talk about you, that. You get to be nonviolent. You get to be like Gandhi and Dr. King. This stuff is exciting. Plus, you get to meet rock stars and all these fun people. Even though you didn't go into rock music. Uh, I know. I would have. Yeah. I, yeah. Let's not talk about that. Let's, let's uh, <laughs> pause a moment and just basic definition. How do you define nonviolence? Well, thank you. You know, I, let me just say, first of all, it's the worst, most clumsy word, and mm -hmm. I'm the first to admit it. Um, but the word love doesn't work anymore. Everybody's for love. I love my car. Mm -hmm. It's just gone. What does the word mean? You know, whereas the Greeks had all these different Greek words for love, and the word that Jesus used, we don't have in the English language, agape, Unconditional, nonviolent, sacrificial, universal love. The word peace, what the heck does that mean? Hitler was all for peace. Mm -hmm. George W. Bush was all for peace and killing the people of Iraq for peace. But maybe it was all for money. Barack Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize and gave the greatest speech for war in modern history. If you read it, it's all about killing people. That's, to me, that's baloney. I went and spoke to the high school in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. All their parents build nuclear weapons. And those poor kids told me, we, we've been told that the people of Los Alamos are the greatest people for peace on the planet and in history. Well, then what does it mean? They're planning the destruction of the planet. Mm -hmm. So... Nobody uses this word nonviolence except for Mahatma Gandhi and Dr. King. So Gandhi uses it um, 100 years ago in South Africa, taking it from the Hindu scriptures, ahimsa, mm -hmm. no violence. And that's all he talked about. And I've read everything he wrote, I submit. Dr. King comes along, that's all he talked about. And I think I've read everything there is about Dr. King. Morning, noon, and night, and now nobody's talking about it. So I decided after that experience in Cali that I'm going to talk about it. Um, it's a clumsy word, I agree, and you could talk about active, creative nonviolence, but here's how I think it comes from that, what I was trying to get at, remembering who we are, that it begins with a vision uh, of our common unity, mm -hmm. the truth of reality that we're all one. So I think uh, creative nonviolence is active love in pursuit of the, com of the truth of our common unity. Mm -hmm that persistently is reconciling every human to being together and who we already are, allowing the God of peace to disarm our hearts of the violence within us, to send us forth as instruments, if you will, of God's disarming love, God's peace movement, practicing unconditional, non-retaliatory, sacrificial, all-inclusive, universal love. But here's the catch that everybody, my whole life, people walk away from once I start talking about it, which is the difference between the word nonviolence and love. Mm -hmm. 
There is no cause, however noble, no matter what they tell us ever again, for which you and I will ever again support the taking of a single human life. He's always going to be saying, you've got to kill somebody. You've got to kill Hitler. No, you've got to kill, I mean, at one point, you've got to kill Noriega. No, you've got to kill Saddam. No, you've got to kill Osama bin Laden. Who are we supposed to kill today? There's always somebody. You and I say no. Nonviolence draws a boundary line in the sand. Mm-hmm. That's why, in many ways, the church, as a community of followers of the nonviolent Jesus, is supposed to be like a 12-step group, Violence Anonymous, where we say, I'm not going to kill. Uh, and so that's pretty hard when we're addicted to violence. And you turn to God, you make restitution, and we're on a journey toward the sobriety of nonviolence. Let me just say, and then you, uh, I'll, I'll let you speak. <laughs> uh, nonviolence is therefore, it's not just a tactic and a strategy, mm-hmm. which for many people in the 60s it was. Now we know it's a way of life, and we've gone, f- for the first time, we've, lo- we've gone so much farther than Gandhi and mm-hmm. Dr. King. This incredible stuff coming out about nonviolence as a spiritual path. We're learning the spirituality of nonviolence, but it's also um, a political methodology mm-hmm. for social change. This is the only way positive social change happens through bottom-up people power grassroots movements of nonviolence. Not violent revolution, but nonviolent revolution. So it's hitting all those levels of violence through creative, active, positive, daring nonviolence. There's nothing passive about it, and there's nothing really safe about it. If you're really practicing it, you're going to get in trouble. And it's, it's the, the only, violence doesn't work. War doesn't work. Violence in response to violence always leads to further violence. It only sows seeds for further violence. We're talking about peaceful means mm-hmm. to a peaceful future and the God of peace. It's so lovely. John, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And we hope you'll tune in again next week for the next part of this conversation and our next episode of Challenge 2.0. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this program, found our conversations to be informative, entertaining, and thought-provoking, and the vision inspiring of people from different backgrounds who can disagree without being disagreeable, perhaps you might consider supporting our program with a contribution. Your support will not only help our program continue, it will also support the broader efforts of Paths to Understanding, our supporting parent nonprofit organization. 